0: opportunity to reflect on this week and especially this evening and then tomorrow as perhaps you gather with family. Maybe there will be a moment sitting around a table filled with food where you'll go around and everyone will list something that they're thankful for. Have one of them in your head and let me ask you a question. Raise your hand if the thing that you're thankful for that you're thinking about is a gift that was given to you from God. All right, a lot of hands. Let's try this. Raise your hand up again if that gift you are thinking of that you're thankful for is one that God gave you after you had prayed to him for it. A couple hands. Yeah. When God gives us gifts... When he answers our prayers and and brings to us the very things that we ask of him, it, it creates in us a spirit of thanksgiving and gratitude and joy. But one of the questions I'd like you to think about tonight is, what about when God answers no to your prayers? That's the setting of the text for our devotion this evening. We're looking at King David and a prayer that he prayed to God. It's a prayer that comes after David had gone to the Lord in prayer. You see, David had been tremendously blessed by God, and he had a thankful and a glad heart. And with that heart, he wanted to show his thanksgiving to God by building a temple where God's name would be praised and proclaimed for generations to come. And he asked God for permission to build that building and God told him, no. No, David, you are not the one to build that for me. That would actually be David's son, Solomon, who would be the one to build the building for the Lord. How do you feel when God brings a no answer to your prayer? David could have felt frustrated, angry, sad, hurt, disappointed. But it seems like he felt thankful and grateful. And so, my question for you tonight is even when God gives a no answer to our prayers, is it possible for us to still have thankful hearts and still have an attitude? Of thanksgiving. After God had told David no, we have our lesson for this evening. 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning with verse 18. King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And if this were not enough in your sight, Sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, Sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, Sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, Sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. There is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. The Word of the Lord. What is my family? David asked. How do we answer that question? We don't know that much about David's family except that they owned some sheep, right? What Jesse did, what his occupation was, I'm not sure, but we know this, he wasn't a king. David's family was not one of royal descent. He was simply the youngest of eight boys whose job was to go out and take care of dad's sheep. David wrote in one of his psalms, Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the moment my mother conceived me, a testimony to the fact that his mother and father were sinful human beings. And so what was his family? It was nothing. It was a family of sinners. What's your family? I think the list of people in the world who know anything about you or your families is a very small list. Is that accurate? You were born into this world, and I don't know every one of you here perfectly, but I'm making an assumption. You were born into this world, into an average, mundane American family. There is not a whole lot that you can lay claim to because of which family you are from. And like David, your family is made up of sinners. And so the moment you came into this world, you also were a sinner. And that's the next question. He put it first Who am I? Who was David? He was a poor, wretched, miserable sinner. If you fast forward a couple of chapters to 2 Samuel chapter 11, you can read about just how far King David was capable of falling. He was a sinner, and he knew it. And he knew his God knew it. And so he knew that none of these blessings, none of these gifts that God had brought, into him, had brought to him were in any way deserved by him, but simply gifts of God's grace who are you? Is it fair to say that we wouldn't have to fast forward in your story to see the depths that you're capable of falling into? We could just maybe rewind what's already played out. You're sinful people. And you don't deserve any of the gifts that our God has brought into your lives. But despite of that, Look at how far he has brought you. God had brought David a long way from living out in the fields nearby of Bethlehem, keeping watch over his flocks at night, as shepherds there did for a really long time, apparently. God plucked David and brought him to the battlefield where he was victorious over the giant Goliath. And God gave David victory in King Saul's army against the Philistines. And when King Saul turned against him and began hunting him, God kept him safe and protected him. And when King Saul died, God raised David up to be king after him. He handed all of David's enemies into his hands, gave him insurmountable success on the field of battle, delivered Jerusalem, the city of David, to him, gave him a palace, majestic and glorious, and provided a family for David that was filled with children. God brought David an awful long way, and none of it was because of how great David was. But it was all a gift of God's grace. How far has God brought you? Let's back up a bit to the beginning of you. Not your birthday, not the day you were conceived, but back way before even that. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. And he did it all those thousands of years ago with you in mind. A place where he could bring you so that he could begin a relationship with you. And when sin entered into the story and threatened to rob you away from him, again, thousands of years before you were born, he stepped into his creation and went to the cross for you, to redeem you from your sins. And then for the 2,000 years since then, he's been reigning from his throne, ruling over all things, directing your, your lineage, your ancestors, bringing them exactly where they are until the moment that your parents met. And then you were conceived and born. But like David, you were conceived and born of two sinful human beings. And so you entered into this world a poor, wretched, miserable sinner. But then God arranged for his gospel message to be brought to you. And he had you brought here to the fountain of baptismal water. And he put his name on you. And he claimed you as his own. And he washed your sins away. And it's because of that forgiveness of sins, that removal of your sins, that we're able to be here right now in God's presence to give him our thanksgiving and praise. Because without the forgiveness of sins, there is no us coming to God. In Isaiah 55, God spoke to his people and he said, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden you from his sight He has turned his face away from you so that he will not hear you. Without being united to Jesus through baptism, we can't even come to God to bring him our prayers. And God had a picture for that with his Old Testament people. In the temple, there was a vast curtain that separated the front of the temple from the rest of it, the the most holy place from the holy place. And behind that curtain, in the most holy place, sat the Ark of the Covenant of God, the lid of which was fashioned into a throne, the mercy seat of God, where He came and was present in the midst of His people. But you could not go beyond that curtain. Because if you went past the curtain, you would die. Because sinful people cannot stand in the presence of a holy God and live. But when Jesus gave his life up for you on the cross, at the moment he said, it is finished, that curtain in the temple tore in two. Because what Jesus had accomplished was he had cleared the way for you to come into God's presence and to stand before him. Jesus took that barrier of your sin and he buried it with himself through his death on the cross. Our stories start to vary a little once we get to the font. Some of you came at a very young age and you've been in the church your whole life. Others of you joined a little later. And maybe some of you were baptized at a young age and spent some years away from the church, but now you're here again. No matter the case, look at how far God has brought you. Go back to that confession of faith and read through the list of all of the blessings that God has poured into your life. if there's something on your heart that you've been praying to God for and so far the answer you've received is a no, take a moment. Think about who you are and where you came from. Think about how far God has brought you. And see if you don't still feel grateful and thankful to God in your hearts. And if that's not enough, David went on, If this were not enough, he said, Sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. So right before our text tonight, in verses 12 through 16, we have the promise that God gave David. After he said, No, you won't build the temple, he said, But I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. I'm going to ask a question, and you get to actually answer it if you want to. Who is that prophecy about? can say Jesus. We can also say Solomon. Right? Solomon would come after David, his descendant, who would sit on the throne, and he would build a house for God's name. Solomon's temple was considered one of the great marvels of the ancient world. But it fell, and it's not there anymore. Solomon sat on the throne in Jerusalem after his father, David, and he ruled Israel for 40 years, and then he died. And that throne is now gone and isn't there anymore. But Jesus came after Solomon several generations later. And he took up the throne, and he is still sitting on it. And he is building a house for the name of God his father, That will stand forever. That house is his church. It's you. God has spoken some pretty awesome things about the future of David and his house, but what words has God spoken to your future? I wanted to come up with a list of some of the promises God has for us and And there was one in particular I wanted. I knew it was in John chapter 14, so I looked there, and as I read through the chapter, I said, this is good enough. We don't need all the promises from the Bible. Just this one chapter will do. John chapter 14 is Jesus' last will and testament. It's the words he spoke to the disciples the night before he died. And these promises are his will for them to know the promises about their future that would guide them through their work in his kingdom on this side of glory and into the kingdom that comes. My father's house has many rooms. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever the Spirit of truth. He will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. These are the promises that King Jesus has for you, a mere sinful human being. There will be times when we receive no as an answer to our prayers, like David did when he asked God if he could build a temple for him. But the beautiful thing about God's no answers is that while at first they might feel like they're depriving us of some kind of joy, in reality, they're bringing us much more than we had even asked for in the first place. When we come to Jesus and we pray in his name, which means trusting in him and leaving all things to his will, we pray acknowledging the fact that possibly, just possibly, the Lord God Almighty who knows all things knows better for us what's best for our lives than we do. And we trust him to do what is best. So when you get a no answer to one of your prayers, take a moment. Remember who you are and where you came from and how far your God has brought you. Remember the words he's spoken to you for your future and where it is that he's taking you. And I trust that you will find ample cause for thanksgiving. Amen? Amen.